This broadcast is coming to you from unceded Gadigal land. I'd like to pay my respects to Gadigal elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to the communities of Redfern and Waterloo. Gadigal people have been sharing stories and songs on this land since the beginning of time. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Record Collections and Recollections, Out of the Box, with Mia Hull on FBI Radio. Hey, thanks for tuning in. My name is Mia Hull and this is Out of the Box. This show is live to air midday through to 1pm on FBI Radio and of course available to stream on the podcast at your convenience. I sit down with one person each week and dive into stories from their life and the songs that have soundtracked them. Today I'm joined by someone whose voice you've likely heard on your radio before. Louis McCurdy is a former Triple J presenter and the current managing director here at FBI. In the years between those two things, he's lived abroad, exploring avenues in animal rescue, podcasting, gardening, and hand modelling, obviously. He joins me now to talk about his life and the songs he loves and the way those things interact. Thanks for jumping on the guest mic today, Louis. What a lovely introduction. Thank you so much, Mia. (laughs) What a treat to be interviewed by you. Uh, One thing you didn't mention was that I started my career at... FBI Radio, which is uh, it's very nice to be back here in a managerial capacity. Um, and yeah, what a treat it is to be invited on your program, which is amazing. I feel so unworthy and a little bit nervous, but so excited to be here, Mia. I've turned red. <laughs> um, yeah, so Louis McCurdy, the, the name, it's synonymous with the lunch spot on Triple J. Obviously, it's been a bit of time since you were there, but I want to dive into that. Where were you in life when you first started to think about radio as something that you wanted to do? It was high school. I wanted to get into radio because uh, a lot of my ambitions when I was in high school revolved around like, uh, you know, gunning for that e- easy option, doing something that looked really easy, uh, not having to work really hard, kind of hopping onto a gravy train. Uh, and, you know, you, you find out when you do get into radio that it is actually like backbreaking work and, you know, hard hard work. And there's a lot of uh, people in the room that are hard work to deal with as well. Uh, but you also end up loving it and adoring it and not wanting to do anything else. So, yeah, I think I was just drawn to it when I was like maybe 15, 16 and looking into doing community radio because I was a loudmouth kid uh, and I wanted to channel that energy somewhere useful. And very luckily, I ended up being at FBI Radio, which, you know, set me on a fantastic course. Oh, my gosh, what an amazing place to start a career. How did FBI turn into your lunch spot at Triple J? Well, I started doing uh, radio shows here, like most presenters. Like, you, you would have done it right, 1 a.m. till 6 a.m. Yep. What's it called? <laughs> the all-nighter. Yeah, I was doing the all-nighter for a little while and then I ended up doing like a Saturday night show and, you know, it was cool not going to parties or like going to the first half of a party and then driving to do my radio show because like all I wanted to do was do radio and then, you know, eventually filling in for shows like lunch and drive and then eventually getting those shows and by the time I was doing drive, I think it was Wednesday drive, um, which is done by uh, Darren now. Yeah. Amazing. Um, so, yeah, Wednesday Drive, I was doing that. And then I would have thought that it was kind of like serendipitous at the time and they were talent scouting and I was, you know, plucked out of the talent pool at FBI. But there was actually a lot of people behind the scenes from FBI uh, who were, you know, rooting for me and recommending me and, and bigging me up. And, you know, they were doing that behind the scenes they weren't letting me know that they were doing that and so you know i only found that out years later that i was being you know uh promoted internally from the seniors at fbi radio uh and you know shout outs to megan loder who you know has been a lifelong mentor for me so yeah shout outs to her uh getting me onto triple j shout outs to triple (laughs) j for 
you know, letting me go through the similar process of, you know, promotion at FBI radio. It's basically the same thing there. Send up on a daily radio show. But it is, um, the reach is a little bit bigger than it is here at FBI. We're just a Sydney station. Obviously, Triple J is the national youth broadcaster. What does it feel like to be doing that every day of the week? Oh, you know what? It's actually a bit of a drag because, you know, you're here at FBI, you're volunteering. It's maybe like one or two days a week. You're doing it as a side hustle. You're doing it with this big goal in mind. And then when you get it as your job, it's just like going to work. You know, realistically, you're just going in to the office, which is a big office. You got to deal with the same, you know, personalities. You got to you got to work with the same people every day. You got to make yourself lunch every day it's kind of just you go to work and (laughs) you know you can you can do what you love but you're still going to work every day Uh, I think a part of the success and this is just me reviewing myself as a commodity was that (laughs) in that you know uh, laid back uh, approach maybe people were able to project themselves onto me and relate my almost a blank canvas style presenting people were then able to say like, oh, this guy's my friend and, and you know, <laughs> I'm I'm just like him or he's just like me uh, because there wasn't, I mean, really, I'm, I'm on the radio every day, but I'm still just like saying, hey, here's this song, this other song's coming up next. You know, I wasn't doing mad editorial. I wasn't doing investigative journalism. I wasn't doing exciting, groundbreaking news or, or cool uh, sound effects or anything like this. You know, I was just uh, showing up every day. So I think it was easy for people to... Yeah, just familiarise themselves with me. And I think that was like a, a large reason why I was able to do that job every day for a while. Why did you eventually walk away from that? It's really hard to walk away from a job like that because I'm a really vain guy. <laughs> and so, you know, it's so great having the coolest job in your 20s. What a spectacular way to spend your 20s. And there's only so many slots on that station. And, you know, I definitely was happy with six years on lunch but yeah eventually you just you've just been doing the same thing every day for six years and yeah I was, I was just kind of psyched to I don't know grow up and, and move on a bit naturally and I thought it was a good idea at the time I didn't have many plans afterwards well it's not to say the job that you have now isn't very cool either oh my god <laughs> right like I never saw this coming not from a million miles away like yeah, I left Triple J in 2016 and like five years later, like, oh, you know, I didn't have a five-year plan and I don't think you can plan for this. It's just like so serendipitous that the opportunity came up and everything I've been working towards over the past five years, you know, those those skills and it's just all aligned. Go me. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Congratulations. It's great to have you here. For the rest of the show, I want to talk about what those five years looked like and what moving on from Triple J meant for you. But first, let's play a song from that era of your life. What's the first song you'd like to play today? Yeah, so this is like a typical white boy house music tune uh, that I used, used to love rinsing when I was on lunch. I like to think that I was playing a lot of cool music back then, and you know. Uh, but yeah, this is this is Ewan Ewan. It's called Waiting for L. You know, it's, I, I love piano. I've been learning piano. You can hear the like these nice like uh, dusty piano loops, and there's a fun drum beat on it. I, I wouldn't know too much what else to say about it, but yeah, I think it's just a, a nice a nice song. It's Ewan Ewan on FBI Radio ninety four point five. listening to FBI Radio 94.5 DAB or if you're streaming on the website that was Ewan Ewan and Waiting for L, a track chosen by Louis McCurdy. Louis is the managing director of FBI and today's guest on Out of the Box. Let's wind right back to the start of your life Louis. Where did you grow up? I grew up in sunny Cronulla. I still live there too. I don't know. Cronulla gets a pretty bad rap, and I can see it. You know, I've, I've, uh, I, you know, when you, you know, when you, you're rejecting a lot of things when you're, when you're an angsty youth. I, I, th- I always thought Cronulla was pretty rank, and then now I live there. I'm just like, actually, Cronulla is pretty sick. You know, I've, I've been surfing every day. I'm still not standing up, but 
uh, you know, I'm learning. Kneeling though? Not kneeling. No, not doing anything just yet. Just like flailing around in the water. I got a big soft top surfboard. I don't know if you know, but like soft top surfboards, they've been like historically for kooks. Now, you know, the marketing behind them, they've got a couple of pros doing pro boards and, you know, maybe they're trying to make them a bit cooler, but, you know, down at the beach when I'm saying, hey, to other surfers, I'm getting iced. You know, the, the, the surfer crowd is a hard crowd to crack. But yeah, do, doing that, just, yeah, just enjoying uh, being back by the ocean. So you're there as a surfer now. What was your family doing in Cronulla when you were growing up there? Uh, we, we lived like uh, on the peninsula and I, did, I didn't even realise when I was growing up, this is like su- super lame of me, but just like how, uh, you know, privileged I was to be growing up in like such a beautiful neighbourhood in a like a pretty pretty closed off area and you know i just always had access to the beach and was always just going like bodyboard in the ocean and i went to school really nearby so i could just like ride my bike to school and you know my, my parents had a spare car so i could just drive that when i was a teenager but yeah like back back in the day uh well we, we were just we were just chilling we we're a pretty tight household it's me my mom my dad my brother and my sister i'm the middle child so obviously like trouble free stress free get on with everyone also chill by themselves libra as well so you know naturally just like relatable and, and chill never wanted to stir the stir the pot or anything like that uh and yeah all i remember is like i guess like watching the bill on saturday nights eating eating chocolate bars we went on sick holidays but i think uh, my mom and dad were very um keen to like not spoil us so like never never got like new stuff always got hand-me-down clothes was never even now today i'm only just breaking into buying like cans of coke or 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 like treats at at the shops we used to get secondhand cans of coke well no just like you know it was just like always off off the cards (laughs) there's never any way in hell i was ever going to can a can of coke in fact i remember once at uh we still do easter hat parades right that's a thing yeah. Okay, so at an Easter hat parade in the blazing April sun, <laughs> I was thirsty. I was like, Mum, I'm real thirsty. And she's like, just just drink your own spit. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you were growing up in Cronulla in 90s, early 2000s. Can you paint a picture of what kind of place it was like then? This is pre-Cronulla riots. Tell me about that. Man, I, uh, an, a more innocent time. I mean, I like to think that it was a more innocent time. Probably that's because I was living a... A sheltered life in a beautiful neighborhood but yeah like it's so so scummy to think that you know ev- everybody in every town everywhere would always be like oh, i was better back in my day but like picture this <laughs> road tennis tennis in the road me and my brother would play tennis in the road what else do we do with skateboard in the street you know it's a dead end you can do whatever you want on the street all you got to do is yell out car and then you get off the road it's like f- foolproof fun times earlier you mentioned your family took you on some sick holidays tell me about some of the holidays you went on growing up uh yeah they were the best they were you know we'd always go to like fiji or not always i say always i just remember like always being on holiday uh but yeah we would go to fiji once i remember going to hawaii we went to like europe in a camper van the first time the first day we were in europe getting the camper van for like this like whatever two month journey or something like that we're in the camper van and we're driving and we have to pick it up in amsterdam and obviously like my dad's driving what a creep we get lost in the red light district you can imagine <laughs> what it looks like it's just like all these very narrow canals and a lot of red lights and it's 1998 i'm nine years old I don't know what's what. I didn't know Amsterdam was a haven for, uh, you know, sex work and marijuana. And we're driving around and the camper van gets wedged in an, an alleyway trying to turn a corner. <laughs> and it's late at night because, you know, we had to pick the thing up late in the afternoon. And so we're wedged. My dad's like revving the engine, the back wheels spinning out or front wheel or whatever. And, and we're just getting more and more wedged. And so... All these sex workers came out in their like, you know, sexy outfits and heels and they helped unwedge the giant camper van. <laughs> there was just like several of them all heaving. 
no safety equipment and they're all just like putting their back into it <laughs> <laughs> just like just dragging a giant camper van and yeah they they unwedged it set us free uh so yeah sh- shout outs uh to them and and uh, i guess this song goes out to them it's believe by share this is the anthem of the trip and i remember this amazing song that was just blasted out on the radio everywhere we went like we were in the camper van we were in the cafe we were in the restaurant we were in the queue lining up to go see something didn't matter where we were every cd player to cassette player radio station was playing share do you believe in life after love i can feel something inside me say i really don't think you're strong enough no do you believe in life after love i can feel something inside me say i really don't think you're strong FBI Radio 94.5. It was Believe by Sher. My name is Mia Hull and I'm joined by former Triple J presenter and current managing director of FBI Radio, Louis McCurdy. We're rolling through the records from Louis's life and the stories behind them. Earlier we were talking about your time at Triple J and the decision to eventually draw that to a close. Where did you go after that? So I may have mentioned that one of my biggest fears was leaving Triple J and leaving the notoriety that comes with the appointment of a daily program there. Because, you know, regardless of if I accept it or not, you know, I wouldn't regard it as, like, famous, but definitely, like, well-recognised because, you know, Triple J is still a, like, small community of of listeners. It's not a mainstream appointment. There are a lot of people that recognised me and I was so fearful that when I left that role... I would just be like, you know, bookended into that role and not be able to move out of, you know, presenting daytime music and and then having to do that forever. But, you know, that wouldn't be the worst thing. But I did want to did want to leave. And if I had left and gone into a job all the time, there would have been someone being like, hey, man, why'd you leave Triple J? So the best thing for me was to leave and get the hell out of there and move overseas. So my partner and I, her name's Rocky. She's incredible. We've been together for, uh, this is our ninth year together. And our Congratulations. cat. Congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, uh, our cat, Aubergine. Uh, we packed our bags and we had two big suitcases and one tiny suitcase for the cat. And we moved overseas to London. Is that is that basic of us? No. Aussies in London? No, I've never heard of an Australian moving to London before. <laughs> I think that was a really unique idea. Yeah, we, we, ju- we jumped at that opportunity. And, you know, I'd, I'd saved up so much money because when I was at Triple J, I just took all these bait DJ gigs in regional Australia. Like there was a period between I think 2014 and 2017 where you could make tons of money DJing at like lousy nightclubs and pubs that were, you know, juiced up marketing. You know, it was like this post-EDM phase where club nights were just for some reason like saturated with money there's so opportunistic for me uh but yeah just use that use that money to bankroll moving overseas and and trying a new vocation and what was the new vocation when you got to london well i had like loads of different plans uh, but mostly i wanted to be doing gardening just thought man working with my hands i love it but i'm not very good not very talented at like carpentry wouldn't ever risk doing anything like electrical work or working with like raw materials or you know putting other people in danger so yeah i got this sweet job at a at an animal charity and i was originally appointed as their volunteer gardener and i had this whole pitch i was going to go in because it was like this old victorian terrace with a beautiful big yard all the cats would hang outside in the yard in their little cat apartments and i pitched like growing all these cat friendly herbs and um plants that attracted bees and worms and butterflies so that way the the cats had something to like you know pounce on if they wanted to and yeah I got stuck into the garden and was totally reviving it and they saw my enthusiasm and love for the job and so they offered me this three-day a week minimum wage job being their handyman 
And that was amazing. I fully cried my eyeballs when they offered me the job, which was, you know, maybe more to do with coming home from like a, a big big trip in Europe and just being a bit, a bit tuckered out. Um, what does the day in the life of a handyman working at a cat rescue centre look like? So, you know, let's, let's say Monday, I'm mowing the lawn. I'm going and delivering a couple of cats to Camden Vet School where student vets would work on the sick cats or I'd jump in the van and drive to Cambridge and deliver like a whole stack of sickly cats that were more likely to get rehomed in the countryside uh, or I'd, you know, paint a fence or I'd, oh, this, I'd go pick up some dead cats <laughs> from from other places. Oh, Why you laugh. You You're laugh. laughing. You laugh. You made me laugh. <laughs> no, it's, 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 uh, you kind of got to, you kind of got to laugh. Like there's some tragic accounts of like real deep, sad things. It's like, so my advice Definitely, definitely foster um, kittens. It's a really great way to, or foster, foster cats. It's a great way to get them out of this really stressful environment. Foster, foster cats for sure. But unless you know what you're doing, fostering kittens is a crazy thing because, like, you know, kittens they come in a litter. They're kind of expected to die, uh, like a few of them at least. And so, like, lots of times people for the first time will foster kittens. And then a, a couple of them might die, and they're just not ready for that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not trying to uh, persuade you to not uh, foster animals. I think it's a great way to get them out of the really harsh and uh, hostile environment of a, of a cat shelter, and it helps them, uh, you know, readjust from moving homes. And uh, yeah, I learned a lot about um, animals and animal care. Uh, and I was driving an animal ambulance, and I recorded a lot of it for a, a podcast. We can talk about the podcast later in the show. We'll do that. Okay. Um, so your gardening wasn't just to benefit cats at the time. You also did some gardening to benefit the elderly in London as well, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I definitely got fired from the cat shelter. Uh, not, it, was, it was not like more an agreed departure. It was just like I had the, I had the spirit and the go-to and the, and the drive, but it was just agreed that it wasn't practical for me to keep learning how to fix things on YouTube and then try and do it for the first time. Like, it was was fine for them and me. You know, it was a minimum wage job. They weren't expecting, you know, fantastic finishes, but it was hard for them to continue having me just, like, go to the computer, look up on YouTube how to fix something. Like, I was trying to fix toilets and stuff. Like, I'm not a plumber. I don't know how to do that (laughs) stuff. And so I'd spend a week trying to fix a toilet. Then they'd have to get a plumber in anyway. It was just impractical. We all agreed it was the right thing for me to move on. And it was mostly gardening what I wanted to be doing. So I got this sick job at a charity called Fulham Good Neighbours. And they help out the elderly and infirmed and, you know, just get them active in the community. They give them help with stuff around the house, maybe handyman work. And they also needed a gardener because their regular gardener was leaving. So I got this awesome job where I got to ride around a tricycle with a tub full of tools in the front, all electric. And I'd just ride from place to place and do these people's gardens for them. It was the cutest thing. It was just like, I can't picture anything like that happening here in Sydney because, you know, the roads are pretty sketchy here. A lot of crazy hoons on the road. You listening, hope you're not driving dangerously uh, if you're in the car. But there, everything's so twee and kind of like cottage core. And so you get on a trike, all of a sudden, like everyone's waving to you saying, oh, there's the good neighbour. And because <laughs> there's so many scam artists there, I was going around to like old ladies' homes and they'd just love the work I was doing because it was free for them. It was a charity thing. And uh, they're normally used to getting knocked on the door by these like cowboys who'd be like, oh, your roof's broken. And then they'd just like steal their money and run off. Um, so, yeah, they loved me. So it was, it was the That's best. That's a really interesting scam. I've never heard of that before. <laughs> In my research, hand modelling came up as a career trajectory for you. I'm not sure where that fits in the timeline, but I'd like to know more about that. Well, I'm glad you read my autobiography. Thank you. Uh, Louis McCurdy, The Life and Times, Chapter 7, <laughs> 8, what was that one? No, I don't have a book. Uh, yeah, so I am not a hair model, but... Can I see them? They're pretty good. It's a real shame that um, 
radio as an audio medium because I'm looking at some really good hands right now. Great coloration, beautiful nail beds. What do you think? Yeah, well, I got my mum's nails. Actually, you like my mum. She does um, oral histories. Okay. <laughs> you do oral histories. Uh, this is an oral that. history. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, I've got my mother's hands and I didn't know it until I was in Greece and I was uh, scanning for memory some palace, Palace of Gnosis. And I was getting in the souvenir store and me and my girlfriend were trying on rings right and the, the shopkeeper legit grabbed my hand and looked into my eyes and told me I had like beautiful hands. <laughs> like, you know, this guy would see hands every day. He'd be letting people try on rings. And so like, I was like, this is the real deal. And I was trying to think about making a podcast about like the journey because obviously like I'll do anything to avoid working a real job. And I couldn't do that because of COVID. So yeah, I wrote a musical around my beautiful hands. Amazing. So we've got a we've got a few podcasts in the bank now, which I do want to talk about later. We've got the Hand Podcast, Animal Ambulance as well, along with gardening and you know working at the cat shelter in London. You were doing a little bit of radio as well. Of course, I can't get away from it. <laughs> Tell me about that. What were you doing? Uh, I got to join a community radio station located in Brixton, operating out of three shipping containers, and. It was just so much greater than the sum of its parts. It was one of the most enjoyable work experiences I've ever had, even though they didn't have running water, even though they didn't have, well, I mean, like, they eventually got air conditioning, which was helpful because, you know, shipping containers, they get hot and they get cold. And England is one of those two things all the time. But, yeah, represent radio. Oh, my gosh. Listen to it. You can stream it. It's such a sick station. I got to um, join them as uh, you know a staff member, and I was the only full-time staff member besides the guy who was running it. And yeah, I just got to help everyone out making great radio. And and um, you know, gosh, what a spot! It was so hot. So w- when I was there, you know, I didn't realize uh, when I was being recruited there the kind of talent that was present in the room and the way radio stations there run like youth radio stations similar to fbi you mean you get to do your show every week right there if you get a show on a radio station you're doing that once a month so people just like give it their all because they need to like stand out and, and show up and do this amazing job and they're all bringing the sickest music there's so much cool like afro beats and 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 a lot of the like uh diaspora music that was like peppered all across you know the the Caribbean and England and and like pan Europe and so like this is like amazing like dance hall and amazing rap tunes and all these grime artists coming in and all these like bedrock UK sounds that are you know absolutely shine out of London and and they don't care what's happening outside of London because they just got like the sickest scenes going on there and um you know it was, it was a real privilege for me uh, this like white Australian expat who's shown up to London, getting to be involved in such a meaningful way, such a rich cultural institution, uh, having access to work with these such talented kids, you know that that was a that was a real privilege. You know, not many people get to um, go over there and and break into a role where they, you know, get to ac- access those worlds yeah obviously you made your mark in many ways in London I want to talk about the physical mark that you made when you were living there tell me about your car Louis which one I'd uh, loads I want to talk about your Nissan Micra okay well I'm, I'm a big so tell me there's an ethical question you know how you like pulling the thing running over 12 people with a train or whatever with the I don't know. You you know the kind of ethical dilemmas you come against, and I've I've had one. Do you buy ten shit cars that run for a little while, and you know probably pretty bad for the environment? But by buying those shit cars, you're not having those materials, you know, built into a new car. You're keeping a car that was already made on the road for as long as it can go. Or do you buy a hot new car and waste tons of money? I'm I'm in the former. What do you think? 
<laughs> the former. I was a 1998 Honda Civic driver for quite some time. Um, I think you've got to take into account the stories that come out of shit cars as well. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's a big part of it. The, the stories, the smells. But yeah, I, I had this Nissan Micra and we were in my apartment, me and my girlfriend and the cat. What happens? Boom, we get COVID. And you know, not the original, you know, t- March 2020, that was a pretty hot variant. It was the original. I mean, the original is always regarded by people as, you know, the best. But then we moved over to this hot new variant um, that was fighting around. And then we got the next variant, the UK variant. Oh, my gosh. We thought that was the hottest one. It was hot. We got real sick. And this car was out the front. It had just failed MOT. MOT's like the rego in England. And so it was stuck out the front. We couldn't even go move it if we weren't sick. But we were stuck in our flat. We could just see this car that failed MOT sitting out the front. And it was a good car up until it failed MOT. It had driven all over England. It cost 450 pounds. That's like 800 bucks. That's so affordable for a car. And it was totally adequate. Always ran. And we couldn't move it. And then they set this council set up road works in our street to totally revitalize the tarmac and guttering and run cables down the middle of it for whatever, maybe like internet or something like that. I don't know. The whole street got cleared. There was not one car on the street except for ours. And every day it just kept piling up with parking fines, like up and up and up on the window screen. We could see a big letter saying, move your car now. And eventually they just barriered around our car and the road got totally made over in the time we got COVID and were able to leave our apartment finally two weeks later, except for this area where the barrier was sitting around our car. And so there was just <laughs> this real scummy bit of old road. And then it was surrounded by a beautiful new road and it was where our car had sat. Uh, so it was, it was, I guess it was kind of like uh, my way of writing my name in wet concrete. Uh, if you want to view it like that, or uh, you could view it in uh, other way and say, what what an what an annoying thing for the council. So if, you know, we had all these parking fines. We just ditched the car. We just took it to a scrappers. We just got a dude with a tow truck, and he towed it away, and I never saw it again. Um, bon voyage. I do want to talk about the hot variant of COVID that you got and the impact that that had. But first, we're going to jump into a song. What would you like to play today? Oh, so when I was at Represent, the radio station I was talking about before, a part of my job was to organise artist takeovers and, you know, produce these cool shows where hot new artists in London would come through and share their favourite music. And there was this rapper named RAE, Rise Above Everything. And in London, they chew you up and spit you out as an artist. Uh, So this artist, her name's RAE, she came through with this really cool song. Uh, it was like, I'm trying to remember the name of it, but it was like this 90s throwback, boom bap, rap type joint. And everyone was loving RAE. And she came up to the studio to do this takeover show. She was hilarious. She had mad jokes. She had mad stories. She was playing games. She was on Instagram live. And she brought her friend. And her friend's name was Annie. And Annie was just chilling. And then when Annie was jumping on the mic, she was hilarious too. And they had these mad bants back and forths and then any played one of her songs like ria played one of any songs and i was like man this is this is a cool song and i'd like thought about it and this guy right who also worked there as a like one day a week again minimum wage everything in england is minimum wage <laughs> minimum wage sorting out the music um, so he's like somewhat of a you know de facto music director. He was scheduling your music, doing all the listening process and selecting music. So he had a very good ear and he's a really good producer. And uh, I introduced them to one another. And like fast forward now, Annie's one of the most fire rappers coming out of the UK. We've scheduled her music and... As uh, tragic as as it is, I helped 
uh, <laughs> um, you know, join the dots for, for any and Pas- Pascal. <laughs> his name is. He's the producer of this song. Uh, yeah, he's he's like the manager as well. But yeah, it, instantly they just gelled, and and he wasn't you know having much luck with his productions, and he was and he wasn't moving and he wasn't moving anywhere with her music. And then they joined forces, and now they're a force to be reckoned with like globally. Like Peng Black Girls, her uh, first release, just like shot her to stardom. Anyway, th- these are those moments when you're working in music that just like happen, and then you're like, wow, how did that happen? How was I involved? Um, but yeah, uh, it's the second mark you made on the UK, then along with the Nissan Micro mark. Ah, exactly, <laughs> I uh, staked my claim everywhere. But yeah, I'll, I'm, I'm not tr- not trying to like brag and say like I invented any or anything like that. I'm just saying like I was there and and you know a, a part of that journey. And and you know it's a scratch my head moment going like wow I can't be- can't believe I was I was just like there in the room. As, as it was it was going on. Well, let's reflect on that with a song. What would you like to play? This is this is any you've heard it all the time on FBI radio. It's highly scheduled, and that's because it is such a sick joint. Any I want. It was Annie on FBI Radio. The track was called I Want. Right now you're listening to Out of the Box. I'm joined by Louie McCurdy and we're broadcasting from Sydney, which is currently in lockdown due to an outbreak of COVID-19, a virus you know very well. (laughs) So as, as someone who was, you know, living in London when things kicked off with coronavirus, what's your experience of COVID-19? Well, I got it. You know, I got those hot antibodies. I don't know if you know, but I was in a, uh, what's that, real trashy publication? Daily Mail. Daily Mail did an article on me. Well, they like former Triple J host. Yeah, Louis got, McCurdy, COVID. got COVID. <laughs> it was just so random. But I think that's telling because I don't know that many people in Australia who have COVID. And when we're talking about numbers in each outbreak we're talking you know in the 20s and 30s but it's not like that where you were at all yeah yeah people were dying like bodies were dropping it's very sketchy you know it was you know like here I, the biggest deal was um here so many videos that i saw even when i was in england was just like bogans going at each other in woolies fighting over a sack of toilet paper and like that was tragic to see is that still going on i don't think so i think we've uh you know, grown up a little bit, but you can really see the thin veil of civility get wisped away as things start falling apart around you. So I did feel pretty hostile. I mean, in the springtime, it was nice. You could walk around the street and you could, for the first time ever, hear birds chirping because there were no cars driving around because everyone left London. Um, you know, you could go to the park and... Uh, really start to feel stressed out once you get <laughs> like there's just like everybody masked up like avoiding each other just like at the, at the supermarket just like gas facing each other just going like oh, oh. you know you, yeah you go to the aisle and you pick up an apple and you turn it around and all of a sudden there's like a big bruise on it and you're like oh i don't want this apple and you're like oh i've touched it i've got to buy it now this is awful um so yeah it was it was pretty, pretty sketchy. And, you know, it was, it was actually cool. Like going to Tesco's, one of the supermarkets out the front, you know, there'd be people controlling the volume of other people going into the building. And they were like slick haircut, giant dudes who obviously lost their jobs as bouncers who were now working at the supermarket as bouncers again, like stopping the numbers from being oversaturated in the supermarket, being like, all right, you can go in now. It, was just like, it <laughs> felt like I was trying to get into a club, uh, you know, which... Uh, um, I'm sure a lot of people missed. Did hotties get led into the supermarket quicker than everyone else? Oh, there was two lines. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, you know, they'd get their own custom, uh, custom, you know, VIP trolley yeah. uh, that had been wiped down before. Uh, you know, they were given a secret access to a VIP toilet paper aisle. But yeah, my partner and I, yeah, just, just, you know, we're tourists. We want to see what's going on. So we went and did a, a, a panic shop. 
we just wanted to see what it was all about. And it was crazy. We went into one of the big ones. I think it was like an Asda. There's like, it's not like this like weird duopoly where there's either Woolworths or Coles. And get this, the aisles are empty. You can see from one end to the other. And you can see through the aisles. When there's nothing on supermarket aisles, you can see through them. And then everyone's walking around. It's 11 at night. Everyone's like a zombie, like foaming at the mouth, waiting for that uh, big juicy pallet of food to come out. And this poor pimply kid dragging out a big pallet of food just plops it in the middle of the aisle and everyone just runs at it and starts ripping off the plastic wrapping and then going crazy and like i run in there and i'm like grabbing things i'm like grabbing a can of beans going hey we need beans she's like yes get the beans i'm like all right what about this uh you know penne she's like yeah get the get the penne get the penne and like then there's a can of baked beans over there someone's grabbing them out of my hand and i'm just like oh you, you can have the beans take the beans you know it's just <laughs> like it, it was it was like yeah it was high voltage panic shopping there it was crazy uh but, but whatever we were all doing it i only did it as a tourist thing yeah maybe some material for your podcast later down the track hey yeah the, the panic shop that's going to be a hit walk me through what it's like to find out you've actually contracted the hot new variant of COVID-19. It was actually kind of romantic going and getting tested in England because you got the Nissan Micra and, you know, you go draw a drive and where we lived to get to the nearest testing facility, it was in Hyde Park in central London. So we'd drive through Kensington, we'd drive through Chelsea, pull up around Mayfair and then pull into Hyde Park and there's like, you know beautiful big trees and and people gliding around on rollerblades and stuff like that and then you just get um you know uh someone in a hazmat suit shoving a tube up your nose and then boom next minute you're getting a text from boris johnson saying you've got you've got covid it's all done on a text it's all it's all pretty quick but yeah from then it's just like oh my gosh i am the scourge of society i am a pariah i need to not leave my house. Luckily, there's pretty good uh, delivery groceries, like one hour, two hour windows when you order groceries online. Uh, but yeah, don't don't tr- actively try and get COVID. It's uh it's a re- it's a really nasty thing to deal with. Like I'm a I'm a healthy, fit, thirty something man, and um, so my partner's a healthy, fit, thirty something woman, and you know we we were like battling this disease this virus it's it's painful so yeah you don't want it you don't want it spreading around coming back to australia having been through that what do you make of the lockdown that we're in now oh it's so sad to see you know how long we've been how long we've been familiar with covid how long have we seen how easily it can rip through a community you know everyone's saying it let's get get this damn vaccine popping Get this damn vaccine popping. Juice me up. What do What do you think? think? Would you get the vaccine? Yeah, absolutely. I think we should get the vaccine popping. I'd get the vaccine. I think we've got to get a song popping as well, Louis. What do you reckon? Yeah, I, 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 I want to as well. So in that apartment that I described where I was just chilling out and getting COVID and relaxing, had a little record player and uh, there was a little record store on the corner and they sold a lot of secondhand records and they sold a lot of vintage like uh, soul and, and 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 funk and jazz and all these beautiful, uh, you know, songstresses of times gone by. And I was just like rinsing Nina Simone till the record ran dry. You know, I had one of those like like dodgy plastic record players with really bad speakers. But I just remember li- listening to Nina Simone like all the time, like whether I was sober or we were getting wasted in the flat. Um, you know, it was just like such a nice, nice... Uh, lady to listen to Nina Simone um, yeah this this takes me back to a lot of like just chilling out in, in my cute little apartment that I, I miss uh, and adore it's Nina Simone on FBI Radio 94.5 the song is called Turn Me On you're listening to Out of the Box my poor heart it's been so dark since you've been gone After all, you're the one that turned me off Now you're the only one that can turn me back on 
Nina Simone. It was Turn Me On on Out of the Box, a selection by my guest on the show today, Louis McCurdy. We've been rolling through stories and songs from Louis's life, but we've not really sunk our teeth into the podcasting side of things yet. You mentioned your Animal Ambulance podcast before, and we have spoken about your hands and how beautiful they are. Let's talk about the podcast you made about those hands. It's called Genesis, the podcast, the musical. How would you describe that podcast to someone who hasn't heard it before? It's a musical that explores several different social um, concepts in modern day society uh, in each episode. And it does it through song and it does it through narrative. And uh, as soon as we start listening to it, we are reminded that, you know, chasing your dreams always has caveats and stay in school. No, I don't, I don't know. I, you know, I, I wrote this musical because I wanted to keep creating radio. And, you know, sometimes when you got like this reputation, so I had a, I had a reputation for being in radio and audio and I, I wanted to keep it, you know, I, I wanted to keep creating and keep showing people that I can uh, make meaningful, uh, interesting audio. And, you know, podcasts, it's a saturated market. I think at any given time, there's 800,000 active podcasts operating. So that's globally, you know, I'm throwing my hat in the ring with one six-part series with 10-minute episodes. You know, it's very hard for me to be able to generate listeners. It's very hard for me to be able to create a buzz around what I'm doing, particularly when I don't have marketing. Uh, you know, I've got some social media, but like, who cares? Like, no one's going to click a link on social media. That's not how it works. It's just a practice for me to get in the method of writing, producing, releasing, and marketing my own material. And so what that material was, I kind of just needed to create something. Uh, and that the musical is what ended up being created. It's a six-part series about me trying to become a hand model. It's tacky. It's a pretty, uh, you know, lame thing to ask people to listen to. So, you know, it was very, very much for me. And it was really fun to write all these characters. Um, you know, I'd never written characters before. It was really fun to write music for a specific thing. And I love writing music. I learned how to make music. I think it would be very hard for me to try and be a musician or a performer. But by creating a world where I am in not normal world, then it's easier to like write and perform. And so that's what it is. That's a great pitch. I would put it second to out of the box on my listening list ah! on Apple Podcasts. I want to talk about the choice to make it a musical. A, a musical's something that have played a big role in your life. Yeah, well, t the choice to make it a musical was... A, I've got these banging new skills of uh, writing songs on piano and didn't want that to go to the wayside. And I also wanted to create an audio experience that wasn't your typical podcast because podcasts, I mean, yeah, sure, they're good listening, uh, you know, good to chill in the car, very insightful. You get some very uh, uh, esoteric knowledge from all these like real interesting and special people and uh, you know, I don't have any of those things to offer. So I just wanted to offer something that was uh, unique in an in a audio experience. And um, I love musicals. It's a new thing. I thought, why not make my own musical? I'm a bit like that. You know, with the gardening thing, I'm like, I can garden. Why don't I be a gardener? I wasn't a good gardener. Uh, but, you know, um, I like doing bike mechanics. I don't, I don't build good bikes. You know, I make good radio. Well, I guess there's only one way to find out how good you are at making musicals. I'll pop a, <laughs> don't, no, don't, don't I'll pop a link to Genesis the Musical. Don't I'm a radio <laughs> station manager now, you know. The, the producer side is uh, on the wayside. But, yeah, you know, I got really into musicals, you know, being in England. Sorry, I've just blagged on about England this whole time. I'm sorry. But, you know, I've only just come back, really. It's a big really. chapter of your life. Big yeah. chapter of my life. I only just came back, still, like, you know, being like, oh, you know, is it? It's nice to come home. But yeah, uh, the whole thing, right? Going to going there, you got the West End, you got all these small clubs. Like going to England, everyone's like super keen to be talented. And so I got really into the West End. My partner got me into musicals and we kept going to them. And, you know, I couldn't, couldn't not go to musicals anymore. And it was sad with the West End being closed. So many performers losing their livelihood and, and they're just so, you know, rich with talent and then they can't 
be on stage and perform for people. It's got to be hard. And, you know, we can see it here as well right now. So many things being cancelled because of uh, another lockdown. It's just like, boo, roll out some vaccines, please. Let's get them popping. Juice me up. Juice me up. Yeah, we went to a lot of musicals. Although, this is this is pretty shameful. My girlfriend has a bad habit and, you know, we live together, so I caught it as well. Bad habit of leaving halfway through at intermission. What do you gain from that? Like another hour? Yeah, but what, why do you leave? <laughs> What's the reason that habit developed? Well, you got to get up out of the chair anyway, right? And you got to leave the theatre hall anyway. Why not just cruise? You know, the best half of the musical is the first half. The longest half of the musical is the first half. You get all the hits in the first half. You know, made the, the um, sorry, the best songs in Shrek 2 are at the end. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Maybe not in every account, but most of the time. All the hits, the arias, they're loaded up the front. I mean, you get the reprise, sure, in the second half. Sure, it's meaningful and beautiful and poignant, but... Uh, the the first half is what it's all about. <laughs> so so a terrible habit of leaving halfway through when it comes to being an audience member in a musical. I'm really hoping that you see your role as managing director of FBI through all the way. What does the future hold for you, Louis? Uh, well, I want to give everything to this job. You know, I've, I've come back. I had a few different plans on how to operate when I uh, arrived in Sydney and this incredible opportunity came up and, you know, I was able to convince the management committee of FBI Radio that I was the right person for the job and, I would, uh, you know, I don't want to let them down but mostly I don't want to let down uh, all the volunteers and staff here and I want to make FBI... Uh, an amazing place to listen to. Not that it isn't. It's great. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm thrilled to have you here at FBI and I'm thrilled to have had you as a ghost, uh, as a guest today on Out of the Box. (laughs) I'm your spooky guest. Thanks so much for being here. You're the best, me, and no problem. What song would you like to end on today? I'm going to end with the opener of a really good musical that I loved because we just love musicals and uh, we don't have to listen to the whole thing. I think it goes for like six minutes or something. But Kinky Boots, I mean, it was one of the first musicals I saw ever. And I just remember this opening song and just being like, oh, my gosh. Like I knew the show was called Kinky Boots, but I didn't know it was about shoes. I just didn't put two and two together. And this song is about shoes. And, I, you know, maybe this is for another time. Maybe this is a a little carrot dangling in front of us to say, hey, let's get this guy back for Ep 2. Maybe not. But yeah, I love shoes. And when this song came on, it was just like incredible. And this was was the, the song that made me love musicals. We'll dive into that one right now on Out of the Box. It's a track from the Kinky Boots musical. It's called The Most Beautiful Thing in the World, chosen by my guest on the show today, Louis McCurdy. If you did want to listen back to this episode of the show, you can do so on the programs page at fbiradio.com. I'll also pop a link on the programs page to Louis' podcast, Genesis, the podcast, the musical, against his wishes. You can also listen back on the Out of the Box podcast, which is available wherever you get your podcasts. Big shout out to producer Mary for doing all the research for this episode. And stick around. Brie Kennedy is up next for lunch. Bye. The most beautiful thing in the world, Johnny Depp. I know, I know the most beautiful thing in the world. The most beautiful thing in the world, Johnny. It's beautiful, it's beautiful. But what if I don't want to make shoes? You're a right funny kid, you are.